This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello, welcome to VUA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Peter Clotin. Here's what's coming up. Chats, opposition, and civil society groups are condemning Debbie's designation as candidate for the presidential race. The opposition and civil society groups say Chad is not a Debbie dynasty that can be ruled only by a single family. That's Moki Edwin Kenzeka reporting on the announcement that Chad's interim president, General Mahmoud Idris Debbie, will run in this year's presidential elections. Details coming up. Also, a look at Afghan action so far and what's to come. And today in the United States, Republican Party voters take the first step in selecting a presidential candidate. All this and more coming up on African News Tonight. Opposition parties in Chad are condemning the entry of the country's military ruler into the 2024 presidential race. General Mahmoud Idris Deby seized power after his father's death, declared himself interim president, and pushed through a new constitution that enables him to run for president in this year's delayed elections. Moki Edwin Kezeka reports from neighboring Cameroon. This is the voice of Mohammed Zenibada, Secretary of Chad's former ruling Patriotic Salvation Movement or MPS Party, announcing that military ruler Mohammed Idris Deby is the party's candidate for the Central African State's presidential elections expected later this year. In the nationally televised broadcast Saturday, Bada said Chad is lucky to have Debbie, an understanding leader who he said listens to his people and works for peace, development, and national concord as transitional president. Bada said members of MPS designate Debbie as their candidate for presidential elections so Debbie can continue the work he has been doing to stop armed conflicts and political tensions and make Chad an emerging economy by 2030. However, Chad's opposition and civil society groups are condemning Debbie's designation as candidate for the presidential race. The opposition and civil society groups say Chad is not a Debbie dynasty that can be ruled only by a single family. Albert Pahimi Padake is opposition leader of Chad's National Rally for Democracy. He contested and lost Chad's 2006 presidential election. Padeke says he is certain the younger Debbie asked the MPS, Chad's former ruling party, to name the military ruler as candidate for presidential elections expected this 2024. He says Debbie, who wants to conserve power and continue his late father Idris Debbie Itno's three decades iron fisted rule, should save Chad from descending into violence by not single handedly appointing people loyal to the military ruler to manage elections instead of people who are independent, neutral, and have the confidence of all Chad's political actors. 
Padake spoke on Chad State TV on Monday. He said Chad has remained poor and is devastated by armed conflicts and political tensions since the Debi family took power in 1990. General Muhammad Idris Debi became leader of Chad's Transitional Military Council in April 2021 after his father, Idris Debi Idnu, died on the front lines of a fight against northern rebels. The younger Debi was to head an 18-month transitional council, but in October of 2022, he dissolved the council and declared himself interim president. Debi organized a December 17 constitutional referendum, he said, paved the way for a return to civilian rule, and Chad's Supreme Court announced that the new constitution was approved by 86% of voters. Chad's opposition and civil society groups called the constitutional referendum a sham to prepare for an eventual election of Debi, a 39-year-old military general. Opposition parties, including the Rally for Democracy and the Union of Democrats for Development and Progress, said the referendum should have barred Debi from becoming a candidate. Meantime, interim president Debi has been designated honorary president of the MPS by a resolution of congressmen. Moki Edwin Kinzaka, VOA News, Yaoundé, Cameroon. United States military officials today said missile fired from Yemen struck a U.S.-owned cargo ship just off the coast of Yemen in the Gulf of Aden. Suspicion immediately fell on the Iranian-backed Houthi rebels in Yemen, though the rebels did not immediately acknowledge carrying out the assault on the ship. It marks the latest attack roiling global shipping amid Israel's war with Hamas in the Gaza Strip. The Houthis have targeted the crucial corridor linking Asian and Mideast energy and cargo shipment to the Suez Canal onward to Europe, attacks that threatened to widen that conflict into a regional war. Officials say the vessel was the Gibraltar Eagle, a Marshall Islands flag bulk carrier. It is owned by Eagle Bulk, a U.S. company. Last week, the United States and Britain fired on what they said were Houthi military sites in Yemen in response to the attacks on international shipping. We'll have more on the conflict in the Middle East on ViewAfrica.com and ViewAnews.com. The United States, the African Union, the Arab League and the European Union have said Ethiopia's agreement with breakaway region Somaliland seeking port access in exchange for potential sovereignty recognition could be destabilizing in the Horn of Africa. Somalia views it as an attack on its sovereignty. Somaliland's Bebere port offers Ethiopia a gateway to the Red Sea and further north to the Suez Canal. David Monda, professor of international relations at City University of New York, explained the implications of the agreement to VOA senior analyst Mohamed El Shinawi. Uh, I think it's uh, very challenging to the stability in the Horn of Africa in the context of how Somalia and Ethiopia perceive of this agreement. So 
in diplomatic terms, uh, Somalia really feels that uh, its territorial integrity is being violated because Somaliland is a part of Somalia. And Mogadishu feels that if Addis Ababa is to engage in any kind of uh, bilateral agreement, it needs to do that through the central government in Mogadishu rather than through Ergesa, which is the uh, regional capital for Somaliland. The other element of this is also the frustration in terms of Mogadishu, the Somali government, because as we know, Somalia has very limited control over its territory. So as much as Somalia protests diplomatically, there's very little it can do in terms of controlling the actions of Somaliland. And this agreement can actually escalate into a regional conflict, particularly in terms of non-state actors like Al-Shabaab that can use the pretext of Ethiopia engaging with Somaliland as a reason to escalate terrorist attacks within the region. The Somali government in Mogadishu has called its ambassador to Addis Ababa for consultation. President Hassan Sheikh Mohammed signed a law nullifying the agreement and he described his move as an illustration of his commitment to safeguard Somalia's unity, sovereignty, and territorial integrity as per international law. From a Somali point of view, this would make all further steps by Ethiopia and Somalia illegal. Would that hinder the implementation of the agreement? I think it's difficult to say because, as you said, diplomatically, Mogadishu has annulled this agreement. President Mohammed has annulled the agreement between Somaliland and, and Ethiopia. But an important context of uh, international affairs is the ability to use not only the coercive tools of force, but to actually use force in defending your borders. And uh, the Somali government at this time just does not have that capacity. So going forward, I think it's a very tricky situation because uh, Ethiopia has very powerful military. Somaliland is interested in the mutual benefits of revenue to get from Ethiopia's access to the port of Barbara. And Ethiopia would also have access to the ocean, to, to shipping lanes. And so even though diplomatically this move would appear null and void, but as we know with international affairs, a key element of this is enforceability. To what extent will uh, Somalia be able to actually regulate the behavior of Somaliland and the behavior of Ethiopia. And I think that is where the question is, because the Somaliland region in Ethiopia can decide to move forward with this agreement. And there's very little aside from diplomatic protests that, that Somalia can, can undertake. I think I must also add uh, lastly that uh, Ethiopia on its part feels that access to the ocean is a critical strategic and economic imperative. When Eritrea broke away from Ethiopia, Ethiopia became landlocked. So Ethiopia is a huge country of over 100 million people, and they need multiple avenues to access global maritime and shipping lines. At this time, they rely on Djibouti, which is very expensive. So they'd like to develop alternate routes to the ocean. And I think this deal with Somali land is an avenue or conduit in that end. The problem is it's creating huge diplomatic tensions uh, with Somalia. Besides using the port for international trade, Ethiopia also wants to lease land from Somaliland to build a naval base. Egypt was quick to announce its support for Somalia. What do you make of that? 
Egypt is very concerned that Ethiopia is going to expand not only within the Horn of Africa and the Red Sea area, but it will get significant chunk of the Somali coastline. We know Somalia is the largest coastline of any country in Africa. And Egypt is concerned based on the tensions uh, Egypt has had with uh, Ethiopia around the Grand Ethiopia Renaissance Dam, the access to the River Nile. Uh, Egypt's concerned that its Ethiopian influence will not only give Ethiopia diplomatic leverage, but also that strategic leverage to access global maritime and shipping lanes. Because a lot of uh, shipping from uh, the Persian Gulf, from Oman, from Yemen, Bahrain, Iran, Iraq, goes through the Red Sea and will be going through that area of uh, where Ethiopia is proposing to have a base before it gets to the Suez Canal. So Egypt is actually uh, also very concerned about this. But Egypt is also playing uh, a balancing game where Egypt does not want to see Ethiopia get too strong at the expense of Somalia. So it's trying to balance the balance of power within the region so that Somalia can also be strong enough to some extent to counter the growing influence uh, of uh, Ethiopia around uh, Ethiopia's influence over this um, uh, region of Somaliland, which eventually is hoping to break away and become an independent country separate from Somalia. That was David Monda, Professor of International Relations at City University of New York, speaking with my colleague Mohamed El Shinawi. You are listening to African News Tonight. I'm Peter Clotet in Washington. For more information on these and other stories from the continent, please see viewaafrica.com. There you will find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. For world news, check out viewanews.com. Hey folks, I'm Luck Bill Yabaro, and I have some electrifying news for you. AFCON 2023 is here, and I'll be at Ivory Coast covering all things AFCON for VOA Africa. We'll have exciting coverage on radio, TV, and all of our digital platforms. Make sure you check out VOAAfrica.com for AFCON updates. Stay locked right here on VOA Africa. Today in the United States, Republican Party candidates for the U.S. presidency take center stage during the party's 2024 caucus in the Midwestern state of Iowa. Republican voters will assemble in person later today to choose their candidate for the party's nomination. This is the first step in the national process of selecting a candidate. The Republican Party and rival Democratic Party will make the final choice in about eight months. Viewers Ken Farabaugh is in Iowa and he joins me now by phone. Hello, Ken, and welcome. Hi, it's great to join you. Well, so, Ken, could you start us off by explaining how the caucuses work? So, um, Republican Party members, um, those who are registered with the Republican Party, will all gather to meet in person at certain sites in um, areas near where they live. And they will join their fellow community members in assembling in, in, a, in a group setting where they will still cast a, a ballot. They'll write the name of the candidate they prefer to support on a piece of paper, which will then be submitted. And then when those papers are tallied up, um, the winners of each group meeting or caucus meeting uh, will be tallied and sent to a central uh, uh, location where they will all be tallied, and that's how we'll know who the winner of the Iowa caucus is. 
Now, are there any indications, Kane, of which candidate is likely to win or to do better than expected? Well, the polling right now shows that former President Donald Trump has a commanding lead, uh, you know, uh, as much as maybe 20 to 25 percentage points ahead of uh, his closest uh, contestant, which would be uh, former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley and also Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. There was a poll that came out uh, just a couple of days before the caucus that shows that President, former President Donald Trump has a commanding lead still uh, in the final days of this campaign, but it looks like it's a race for second place between uh, Haley and DeSantis. I understand the candidates and their supporters are facing some tough weather conditions today. Is the weather expected to affect how the caucuses proceed? Yeah, that's exactly right. So the important thing about this caucus is you have to show up. You have to be present to vote. You have to be present to support the candidate you want to pick. So that means you have to brave the weather to get out to those meetings. And this is some of the coldest temperatures Iowa has ever seen, let alone it happening in a caucus. Um, Final days of the campaign, we saw a lot of campaign events by the candidates canceled or moved online because uh, there was first a snowstorm, then a blizzard, then freezing temperatures. And it's still very cold uh, today, and it's expected to be cold tonight when those groups assemble. So um, you have to be motivated. You have to be hardy to brave this weather, but you have to show up in person to make sure that your vote is uh, registered. Ken, before you go briefly, what are some of these uh, registered Republican voters telling you about how they plan to vote this evening? Well, the people that we talked to have all said that they do intend to caucus regardless of of the weather. Um, They want to make sure that their voice is heard. They enjoy being uh, at the front of this process. This is the first time uh, the world will hear from voters in the United States about who they want to lead their respective parties for the nomination and ultimately the general election for the White House. And it's at least as far as polling shows right now, those voters are supporting Donald Trump in the state of Iowa. Thanks very much, Kane, and please stay warm. Thank you so much. It's the third day of the African Nations Cup or AFCON in Ivory Coast. My colleague Mogbil Yabaro is on a special assignment to cover the tournament. He had the opportunity of speaking with the U.S. Ambassador as well as the U.S. delegation comprising seasoned athletes to the tournament. For more about his interviews and the latest development regarding AFCON, I spoke with Mogbil in the Ivorian commercial capital, Abidjan. So yesterday uh, I was able to have the pleasure of Uh, going to the U.S. Embassy um, and and sitting down and conversing with this uh, delegation, this sports delegation that President Biden has put together uh, to strengthen uh, relationships and partnerships uh, with the continent and specifically in particular at the moment uh, with Ivory Coast. Um, Yeah, it was uh, Lisa Leslie. She she is probably one of the most uh, well-known WNBA figures of all time uh, she's a four-time olympic uh, medalist um hall of famer and we also had uh crystal dunn who is one of the faces one of the uh, faces of the u.s women's national soccer team um as well as uh chine um who is a two-time wnba all-star and an espn host she actually was the first black espn host uh black woman host uh in espn in 2020 so yeah sat down with them 
They are amazing. They're having a great time in Ivory Coast. Crystal's uh, um, husband is actually born in Ivory Coast, so she is an honorary Ivorian. Uh, all in all, they're, they're having a great time. They actually said that they wanted to extend their stay uh, because they're here for such a short time. Are they enjoying the soccer games, as they call it, in America? Absolutely. You know, Crystal Dunn, being a soccer player herself, obviously is enjoying it maybe a little more because she understands it from a tactical and professional uh, perspective because she is an expert and a professional at the highest level in women's sports so uh, of, of, the, of that specific sport in soccer. But the other two are very elite basketball uh, stars, so they understand what it takes to get to that level. So they're just appreciating uh, what it means uh, to be here to to be invited uh, to watch this AFCON and uh, Chine actually is uh, Chine is actually a um, a Nigerian American and uh, she's you know it, it was a difficult time for her um, f to see her team not be able to get that first win so uh, I, I know she'll be uh, on the lookout. Mm. Now, Mugwil, I, I know there are some games coming up shortly, but what other games are we looking up to? Although uh, a very festive occasions, some are licking their wounds because they lost. Right. No, absolutely. So if I were to say some of the games that folks are looking forward to, um, I, I would say Senegal-Gambia uh, coming up would, would have to be uh, a big one that's happening uh, shortly. Um Another one, possibly Angola, Algeria, um, and then uh, Morocco and Tanzania because folks want to see where Morocco is, how they come off and start off in the tournament. You know, exactly how you mentioned, uh, some folks are licking their wounds. Egypt is one of those teams that got very, very lucky towards the end of that game. Mozambique played a tremendous game uh, and were able to... You, you know, the, the challenge about that game, uh, Peter, was that you go down 1-0 to a monstrous Egyptian team in the second minute of the game. So not only were Mozambique able to get their minds right, score to equalize, but they scored to go ahead within a three-minute differential. So they scored their goal by Witte in the 55th minute, and then Clisio scored in the 58th minute, um, and they held it up until extra time where a costly mistake by one of their defenders uh, caused Mohamed Salah, Mo Salah, the legend, to go to the penalty line, and uh, that PK spot for him is is money. That was my colleague Mogbil Yabaro speaking from Abidjan. You can keep up to date on all the Afcon news at viewafrica.com. Also, check out the sunny side of sports for detailed coverage later this week. Look for our Kicking It Afcon podcast. Every January, the United States observes Martin Luther King Jr. Day or MLK Day to mark the birthday of the prominent civil rights leader who fought to end racial segregation. Viewers, Africa's Anthony Labruto visited some of the famous landmarks in Washington, D.C., where Dr. King rallied his supporters in the early 1960s that are still revered today. Coinciding with the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, Dr. King rallied his supporters alongside those who were in support of civil rights legislation proposed by then-President John F. Kennedy. 
Martin Luther King's famous 17-minute I Have a Dream speech conveyed African-Americans' anger with racial segregation, which denied them the right to achieve the American dream of upward social mobility and freedom of movement within the United States. Drawing from his own experiences of racism, Dr. King hoped to inspire his supporters, as well as the United States Congress, to look forward toward the future and achieve the dream of racial equality. The speech is widely considered to be one of the most powerful and cited in American history. In 2011, the United States National Park Service dedicated the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial on the National Mall, making Dr. King the first African-American to have his own dedicated memorial, as well as the fourth non-U.S. president to have their own memorial. With the physical address of 1964 Independence Avenue to mark the year of the signing of the Civil Rights Act, the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial is steeped in symbolism. The two large mountains in the center of the memorial are meant to embody a mountain of despair, with a contrasting colored stone carving of Dr. King meant to be the Stone of Hope that looks out over the tidal basin onto the horizon. Along the outer edges of the main statue are quotations of Dr. Martin Luther King made throughout his life and career as a civil rights activist. Anthony Labruto, VOA News, Washington. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Peter Clote in Washington. For all the latest development on the continent 24-7, visit our website at viewafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Nabil Biaju and our engineer, Adrius Regis, thanks for choosing the Voice of America. Thank you.